Children's Church and the Tyler's Church downstairs. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 1. The last several Sunday mornings, we've been just going through uh, the words that the Bible uses when it talks about salvation, when it talks about being saved. Uh, many times people visiting, they, they come in and they look around and they say, well, this used to be a synagogue. And I say, well, yes, that's how the building was originally built. And, and uh, they closed in 94 and we were able to buy the building in 1997. And uh, say, well, you know, what is the difference between a, a Baptist church and, and many of the other churches that are out there? And Really, uh, if you want to put it in one sentence, the difference is how we handle this book called the Bible. That is the difference. We believe that this is the sum total, the complete, direct revelation that God has given to man, that there is no other uh, revelation, there is no other source of information you can look at the universe around us and know that there is a God, but you cannot know His name or His love or anything about Him personally without reading the pages of this book called the Bible. And the God of the Bible is two things. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, He that cometh to God must believe what? Number one, that He is. And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Number one, God is. Number two, God is good. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I take such offense at the number one expletive uh, of, the, uh, of our society today is, Oh my God! Uh, I was standing in line the other day at a McDonald's in the man standing beside me took the name of our Savior in vain and said, look at this line, and, and said the name of Jesus. And I just looked at him, I said, don't blame him, it's not his fault. And he just looked at me and, and got real quiet and just went over and ordered his stuff and sat down. I'm a little frustrated with that. It's not Jesus' fault. If you're going to curse anybody, curse the people behind the counter. But then you'll get thrown out and you won't get your food anyway, which might be a good thing. Donald, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, a little bit won't hurt you. Uh, but the, uh, the, the truth of the matter is God wants us to be saved. We often, people often treat God as if He were sitting in heaven listening to the prayers of people seeking salvation and going, Ah, ah, he didn't use that word. Done. Not saved. No, that's not the God of the Bible. In fact, Jesus put it so simply as this. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen? It's not the words. It's not a magical formula. It's not a charm. Uh, that's one of the problems uh, with what is called the sinner's prayer in some contexts, I've met more than one, many over the years. Oh, I pray that prayer every day. Well, it's the sinner's prayer is not another bead on your rosary chain. I'm sorry. And by the way, Catholics aren't the only ones that do that. 
Uh, Islam have prayer beads, and the Buddhists have prayer beads, and the Hindu have some form of that, and and uh, the Buddhists have prayer wheels, and they spin around. I mean, everybody's got forms of abbreviated prayers, but the God of this book called the Bible wants us to talk to Him directly, directly and cognitively in reflection of what is revealed to us about Him in this book called the Bible. Can we say amen to that? And as God is explaining salvation, there are four primary words that you're going to find everywhere. Repent. Believe. Call. And receive. Today is the fourth Sunday. We're going to look at the word receive. The word receive and its forms takes nearly five pages of definition in the Oxford English Dictionary. Now, if you've never seen the Oxford English Dictionary, we're not talking about the ones you see in the bookstore. We're talking about the 20-volume set, over 120,000 main entries. This is the lexicon of the English language. If you're going to study English, you... You ought to use the lexicon, just like we do if we study Hebrew or Greek. Uh, A good and well-ordered Greek lexicon is in one volume. The English lexicon is in 20. So don't tell me that you can't find a word in the English language to translate something in the Greek language. It's just because you don't spend enough time looking through the language and reading the definitions to understand. But this word receive is not a a, what we would call a simple word. It's an ancient word. It goes back to the very roots of Anglo-Saxon and that back to uh, it said that it received extensive use in the uh, 14th century, which is the 1300s. And if I were to bring you some type of manuscript from that time period, I, I doubt that any of us... Uh, in this room could even read it with any success because of the different spellings of the words and all of those things. And uh, I'm not going to go on and on about the definition. I I love those things. I love to read and understand. But the word receive is a very broad word. It has a lot of context and connotations And so what I'd like to do in beginning our exploration, our study of this one word in the Bible, is to give you a super simple summarized definition. And that would simply be this. To gain possession of or to take oversight of a person, place, thing, or ideal. That is the basic definition of the word receive. You either take possession of it or you hold it in a, in, in a oversight. You have some control over what you are receiving. I remember a preacher one time, he was in an uh, airport at Newark, New Jersey, and it was full of those, uh, um, I'm trying to remember even Hare Krishnas or something like that. One of them came up and said, I'd like to give you this book. He says, is this mine? And the guy said, yes, sir, it is yours. He said, I can do anything I want with this. And 
And, and the guy looked at him and said, yes, sir, you certainly can. He says, thank you very much. And he tore it in half. And, and then he tore it in half again. And the guy attacked him and, and jumped on him. The only problem was this preacher used to be an ex-wrestler. It was the wrong thing to do. And uh, bad things started happening to that poor little guy. But he had given the book. He said, it's your book to do whatever you want. And he said, well, I want to tear it up. You know, a lot of people do that to gospel tracts. Do they not? We're not going to attack someone. I remember a guy, he took one just a couple weeks ago. Went, <laughs> and threw it on the ground and then looked at me. And I'm like, I feel sorry for you. That your whole life is so consumed with hatred for the God of the Bible that you would tear this thing up and somehow think you're going to challenge me? Who am I? I'm just a signpost. If you want to drive off the end of the cliff, that's your business. But I've warned you. Amen? And so this word receive means to accept, to take the oversight, to gain ownership of... But here's an interesting part that I'll tell you until I just really uh, uh, sat down for this message, put this all together in reading 27 some odd definitions of the word receive and, and its other forms and looking over that, the reverse is true. You know, some words only have one direction. But the word receive is, is a multiple direction because, you see, when I receive this, guess what? I am also, the opposite is, is, is true. If I receive the Bible, or let me put it in, in the definition of this here we just finished the 4th of July American history. I, I love American history. I love to study it. And, and because there's so many great illustrations of truths from the Bible in it. If you and I were alive in 1776, and we were to read the Declaration of Independence, and we were to receive the ideals that were brought forth in that document, the principles of soul liberty, would we not then be received into the movement and become part of those who struggled against the tyranny of the British to free themselves so that they could live those principles? Are, are we together there? That's just an illustration of history, of, of the word receive. You receive something. Yes, I take it, but it also takes me. You become a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. We go back to the differences. We receive you into the membership of our church. But could I tell you that we expect certain things... From our members. If you'll read our little gospel track, it says the name of our church is Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Those doors are open to anyone who will walk through them. 
But if you want to become a member of this church, you have to agree with our doctrine. Unfortunately, over the years, praise God, it's been very few compared to the number of people that have walked through that door. There's been some disagreement. And we've had to talk to certain people and say, listen, if you're going to continue living against what's in the Bible, you cannot be a member of the church. There, there is a responsibility. It goes both ways. If you say you agree with what we believe and you want to be received into the membership of the church, there is responsibility going both directions. Uh, that's why uh, I often, when we do regular Bible studies, try to give you an outline so you can take it home and read that and double check and make sure. Now, I, I've checked more than once before I put it in print. Uh, but my typist still makes errors. By the way, I am my own typist. So uh, there, uh, there have been some questions sometimes. Sometimes I will speak and and the mind won't be properly connected here. And we put Moses on the ark and a few other things over the years by mistakes. Hey, those can be corrected. But if it comes from the Bible, you have a responsibility not only to hear, but to do. And you see, that's where people mess up the word receive is they forget about that double direction of the word, that, that implied meaning that if I receive something, if I receive the ideals of liberty or claim to, and then my decision-making process is governed by expediency rather than by the ideals of liberty, have I really received them? Absolutely not. And see, we would have modern historians that would tell us the American Revolution was simply a bunch of businessmen trying to make more money. And that's simply not true. You need to read the history. You need to understand that the principles that guided those people came from this book called the Bible. The yearning to be free, to be responsible directly to God for my own destiny is a truth that is only taught in this book. No other religion can claim to teach that. Because every other religion in the world brings you into domination under their thought processes and their things. I, I, I laugh. Every time I hear the reformers, uh, solo scriptura, only the Bible, according to Luther, or according to Knox, or according to Calvin, or any of these other people. That's not, that's not scripture only. The Baptists have the only ones in history that have made that claim. And as we understand this word then we can understand what the Bible's saying. You see, effective communication means that the message that I am speaking is understood by the hearer with the intent that I had purposed in speaking. Now you say, 
Pastor, why, why are you so tedious about this? Uh, read the newspapers. When is the last time our president has said or done anything that anyone in the newspapers understood? Hello? Because they already have a message. Trump is an idiot. 500 people showed up in London to protest the president, and it's international news. Excuse me? Give me a break. Oh, yeah, I know. There was more people than that at one of the other protests. But it's, it's absurd. We are living in a society where communication has ceased. Because people do not want to understand words anymore. They only want to shout their idea until everybody else stops. We're here to communicate what's in the Bible. That means we've got to examine words. And this word received, John chapter 1 and verse 12, I want you to follow along even though you have it memorized I would like you to follow along with me as we read it very carefully. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. One more time. But as many as received him, to them... Gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, as we look at this verse here, it tells us that those specific individuals that have received him, they are referred to as them, separating them from all the other peoples on the face of the earth, that we would, uh, according to this verse, be able to divide mankind into two distinct groups, those that have received Christ and those that have not received Him. Those that have received Him have been given power directly by God to become or to be transformed. Uh, The Bible term, John chapter 3, is born again, born into the family of God. Those that have not received Him do not have that ability, have not received that power. And in case you're wondering how you receive Him, it says even to them that have believed on His name. Now, we're not going to take time for believe because three weeks ago we spent the whole sermon there. But what we want to look at is this is a promise in the Bible that as many as received Him, to that group, to those that have received Jesus, God gave power to become His sons, to be born into His family. Now that is an incredible promise, is it not? And we have people all the time trying to redefine words. I picked up a... Uh, a Catholic track. Uh, we as Baptists, as Bible believers, have been passing out literature for centuries. I have some that were actually printed during uh, a copy of one, I think, that was printed in, in the 1780s or 90s. 
uh, and just distributing literature. Why? Because we believe in the power of the written Word of God. Amen? Uh, and, and this was a Catholic track. And it simply said, don't worry about being born again. And it quoted this verse. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. He says, you receive Jesus every time you take the Mass. Boy, I'll tell you what. That is a lie. Completely. There is no scriptural basis for that at all. The Bible says you receive Jesus by believing on his name. Oh, yes, but you must believe as you partake. No, that's not what it says. It says believing on his name. If we were to meet some of the quote-unquote Christian church, uh, otherwise known as the Disciples of Christ, uh, we have the baptistry full today. Uh, Brother Franz is going to come down from Brooklyn, and I mean Bronx, and baptize his mother uh, uh, today and uh, as a member of the Morris Park uh, Bible Baptist Church. And we look forward to that. And baptism is important. But the Church of Christ teaches that as you believe and mix your faith with the waters of the baptistry. Now, I don't know how you would do that. How do you mix faith which is spiritual, which is coming to God, believing that He is and believing He is good. How do you mix faith with water? Which evaporates rather quickly or can scald you if it boils. I mean, water is is a physical thing you can hold in your hand. How do you take something, uh, maybe it's like the Reader's Digest condensed version of the Bible, just add water? Uh, No, don't do that. Uh, it, It doesn't work. But... You cannot mix faith with anything, otherwise it's not faith. You cannot receive Jesus as your Savior any other way than believing on His name. But we can claim to receive Jesus and not get the job done. And what we want to do is just very quickly here as we can is is go through this. Would you turn with me to Exodus chapter 27? We've, we've given examples from history and, and the illustration of church membership, how that works. But what I'd like to do is illustrate by way of the Scriptures. Exodus chapter 27 is talking about the Old Testament tabernacle and the, and the brazen altar. And it's interesting the wording that is used here. And we're going to look down here in uh, verse 3, and it says, And thou shalt make his, talking about the brazen altar, thou shalt make his pans to receive his ashes and his shovels and his basins and his flesh hooks and his fire pans. All the vessels thereof thou shalt make of brass. And... um, Here is the way that the altar worked was the brazen altar was made hollow with boards so that it could be carried. It did not, uh, if they had made it out of solid brass, it would have had such a weight that there were no sticks or, or poles that they could carry it on. 
And down in the middle of the uh, altar where the fire was, there was a brazen or brass net that would hold the uh uh, the wood and later the sacrifice as it was consumed on the altar and then underneath there were pans. And those pans received the ashes. Now how did that work? Well, it was very simple. You were up here, the, the altar itself was about so high, give or take a few inches, and then down inside was that brazen network and so you had the fire and the wood and then the sacrifice, and as it burned to a fine powder, it would filter through that screen. And then in the bottom, you would pull the pan out from under the altar, and it would be full of ashes. The pan received the ashes. Very simple process. Uh, the ashes had to be dealt with very carefully. There was a place, a clean place, outside the camp that was designated for the pouring out of the ashes. It, it was not just in the garbage dump where all the rest of the unclean things were to be buried and kept and discarded. It was in a clean place. And there was a reason for that. There were certain sacrifices that were to be offered not on the brazen altar, but outside the camp on the ash pile from which the the uh, the sacrifices the ashes that the sacrifices produced it's just a very simple process the priest had to take the pan and take it to the designated place and pour it out he was receiving the ashes from the pan and following the instructions that were given you know, that's how the word receive works. If we go on to Exodus uh, chapter 36, uh, it talks about, why don't you just turn there very quickly. They were taking an offering of the children of Israel. They had already sinned with the golden calf, and now they were building the tabernacle itself. And they commanded the children of Israel to give linen and precious stones and gold and silver and brass and all of the wood and whatever they had in their possessions. And uh, verse 3, And they received of Moses all the offering which the children of Israel had brought for the work of the service of the sanctuary to make it withal. And they brought yet unto him free offerings every morning. Verse 6, and Moses gave commandment, and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp, saying, Let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from their bringing. Now, this is the only time I know of in history where the preacher said, Don't give any more. Uh, somebody said, What would you do if God gave you... A I don't care what he gave me. We'd, we'd find a way to use it for the ministry of the Lord. You gave me a check for $5 million. I know exactly where I'd go. I'd go to Heartland and build a new men's dorm. Uh, that, that, wouldn't, that wouldn't even take me a second to get rid of $5 million. Uh, uh, and, and it would be well invested in the work of God. But that's just wishful thinking. But here, Moses... 
took the offerings that the children of Israel, and he gave it to the men whose heart God had prepared for the work, and they received it on the premise that everything that was given to them would be used in the building of the tabernacle. And the issue was when they had everything they needed and it, and, and it, it appeared that there was just going to be a super abundance, there was going to be much extra. They said, stop giving. Do you know that there are still warehouses in New York State full of donations of supplies that were given on 9-11 that they've had no use for. It's a tragic thing. And you see, the idea of receiving has a responsibility of using what is received for the designated purpose. Do you see that? And when that designated purpose is fulfilled, you don't do any more. By the way, when we receive Jesus as our Savior, you don't pray to him every day asking to be saved over and over again. Why? Because the need has been met. The, the, the void has been filled. The, the, uh, the problem has been solved. We don't ask again and again and again. That is violating the rules of receiving. And it is illustrated here in the Bible for us to see if we will just simply look and understand. But I want you to look with me in Numbers chapter 34. If you would, there's a number of times. It is amazing how many times. We won't look at them all, of course, but verse 15 of Numbers chapter 34 Well, let's just read um, uh, verse 14 as well. For the tribe of the children of Reuben, according to the house of their fathers, and the tribe of the children of Gad, according to the house of their fathers, have received their inheritance, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance. The two tribes and the half-tribe have received their inheritance on this side, Jordan, near Jericho, eastward, toward the sunrising. Now, there are many times in the Bible that the land given and distributed to the children of Israel is spoken of and used the word they received their inheritance. What was incorporated in receiving that inheritance? Uh, Wars. They had to go in and fight and possess the land. This was the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to the nation of Israel. All of these things, but there was also a responsibility in receiving the land, was there not? They were to obey the promises of God, were they not? How many of you remember what happened when uh, about five years into the conquest of the land of Canaan? The, the, the armies of, of Reuben and half-tribe of Manassas and Gad were finally released to go back to their inheritance and to live because the land had basically been conquered and they built that altar called Ed. And the whole nation of Israel assembled and they were going to go to war with them. 
because in receiving their inheritance, they had taken upon themselves a pledge to obey the laws of God. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second commandment is, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And this altar was classified as breaking both of those commandments. And the children of Israel, the other uh, nine and a half tribes, ten and a half tribes come before them and say, You received an inheritance from God according to the promise of God, won by the battles that God prospered you in, and now you are rescinding that responsibility. You have violated that trust that you took in receiving this land, and we are going to destroy you unless you you explain to us what was going on. And uh, they explained that they had not built the altar and, and we won't take time to go into it, but that in itself was a sad story because God had already given them a sign. He had already given them an altar. It was the twelve stones that they had set up. And if anybody ever questioned the veracity of the, of the claim of the two and a half tribes on the other side of Jordan, all they had to do is go down and count the twelve stones that Joshua had sent up. But they set up their own altar. And it led to them falling away from the words and the commands of God. So, we we want to understand something. To receive, as the offerings were received, is to commit to the obedience of the handling of the ashes, of the handling of these uh, gifts that were given to build the tabernacle. Just by way of thought, this was the great sin of the sons of Eli, was it not? In that they had appropriated from the sacrifices that they received of the people portions that God had never intended for them to have. That's why God's judgment was so strong and so severe against Eli and against his house. The land was given to Israel. It was to be held in a sacred trust and obedience to the words that God had given them who also gave them the land. Now, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Because we do understand that there is a receiving of the words of God as well. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 9, and we'll, we'll just start reading in verse 9. It says, When I was gone up into the mount to receive the tables of stone, even the tables of the covenant which the Lord made with you, then I abode in the mount forty days and forty nights, neither did eat, I neither did eat bread nor drink water, and the Lord delivered unto me two tables of stone written with the finger of God, and on them was written according to all the words which the Lord spake with you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And so Moses talks about receiving those tablets, those tables of stone. How many of you remember what happened to those tables of stone? Read on down through. God said, get you down from this mountain. The children of Israel have sinned. And Moses goes down and he sees the golden calf and he sees the immorality and the disobedience. And Moses takes those tables of stone that he received from God and he breaks them at the foot of the mountain. 
And so what happens? After Moses pleads to God for keeping for the lives of the nation of Israel and those that had sinned were put to death and, and, and it was a terrible, terrible time, he goes back up into the mountain for another 40 days and 40 nights. And God, and receives from God another set of tables with the same words written on them. You see, God is interested in His people having His words. Can we say amen to that? But when we take them, there is a responsibility to obey them. God did not give you this book for your betterment. That's the problem with the purpose-driven movement. Yeah, God's got to fix you to use you. He's got to make you better or He cannot get a testimony of His goodness. But that's not the end goal. That's just something that God needs to do so that He can get glory from His life, our lives. God gives us His Word for His purpose, not ours. He wants us to obey Him because He is God. Stephen's sermon, Acts chapter 7, verse 53. We won't turn there, but he said, You've received God's law at the disposition of angels and have not kept it. And they took him out and stoned him. I'll tell you. This thing, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. We'll spend just a few moments here as Jesus is giving the parable of the seed. And again, he uses this word, receive. Verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, we're talking about receiving the words of God, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which what? What's that word? Received. Oh, oh so it's not just mentally accepting. You see, that person heard the word, he didn't understand it, and as the seed lay dormant and unused and untouched in his life, the devil now has opportunity to snatch that out of there so that it cannot take root and it cannot do the work that it's going to do. That is the process of receiving God's word by the wayside. Let's keep reading. Oops, page turned. Here we go. But he that re- verse 20, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, immediately is what anon means, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth, Because of the word, here's the process again, and by and by, he is offended. So that's the process of receiving the word in the stony ground. Is the word comes, 
He says, this is what I need. I wish I had a dollar for every person that came through those doors and just said, oh, this is the kind of church I'm looking for. I love the Bible. And then they're gone. Uh, But we don't need a dollar. We just need to serve the Lord. Amen. But there's a process of receiving there. The Word never takes root in their lives. You see, that idea of receiving, if we picture the planting of seed, the seed has to land in the soil and then germinate, and then it begins to send roots so that it can draw nutrients and and water from the soil. All that happens long before the first little shoot breaks up through the ground. Because if it doesn't, It's just like second grade when you all took lima beans and stuck them in a wet paper towel and you saw that little uh, uh, translucent white uh, stem break out of the seed and then you throw it away and it's dead. Uh, It's it's got to have something to feed it and soil and all of those things. And, And then we start in verse 23, but he, I'm sorry, 22, he also that receiveth... The seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth the seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Could I challenge you only the last one actually received anything from the receiving of the word? The first three did not receive anything. Now, someone says, you mean everybody that, that, that falls by the wayside? No, this is not a parable about salvation. This is a parable about the work of the Word of God in your life. And if the Word of God does a work in your life, if you truly receive it, then there are going to be some visible results from the Word of God. Could we say amen to that? How many of you remember the peace that came into your heart when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? You say amen to that. How many of you struggled with peace since you got saved? Every one of us. But we can go back and say, if Jesus saved my soul, he'll take care of any other issues that I face. Can we say amen to that? And and you can apply that to any, any part of your life. So let's go back and just try to put this thing in order. But as many as received him. What does it mean to receive him? Receive Jesus. Okay, number one, I've got to accept Jesus, who he is. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God, and yet God the Son. He is the only Savior of mankind. He is... God, who came to us, you must accept Jesus for who He is and what He has done. That's why the words, it is finished, is on the, on the wall behind me. Because I, I want 
to, to be reminded. I want everyone that walks through these doors to understand the work that is done by Jesus Christ was finished on the cross. And it's never going to be repeated again. It is sufficient for every person who was ever born from Adam and Eve who were born by the creative powers of God to the last soul that is born upon this earth. There is only one answer. It is the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary's cross. It is the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Noah received it in a picture. It was called an ark. He went into the ark and he was saved from the death of the flood. I'll tell you how many of you can't see the the illustration of what Jesus did. In fact, the ark was even made out of wood so you wouldn't mess up and you couldn't stray too far. Just like the cross was. It's, It's a picture. It's an illustration. It's a physical representation where all the pieces fit together. But if you're going to receive Jesus, don't you also have to accept who you are and what you've done? Yeah. See, that's the problem with all false religion. Somebody said, well, what do you think about Joel Olstein? My first answer is, well, what do you think about that guy? I said, can anybody that smiles that much be honest? Uh, well, I was kind of thinking that way. Well, I'm, I'm leading the conversation, I understand. But the simple truth is, Mr. Olstein is willing to talk about Jesus and how good he is and what he's done, but he's never willing to talk about how sinful I am and how unable I am to save myself. But we're not going to go as far as the Calvinist does, who says that you can't even pray a prayer in faith. You have to let God save you of his own accord. That's not Bible either, now is it? As Brother Hardy often says, there's a ditch on both sides of the road, and you'd do well to keep out of both of them, because either one will take you out. And... uh, the, you might, if you're going to accept who Jesus is, you, you must understand who you are and what you have done. And with that comes a responsibility. If I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if I receive Him as my Savior, then I cannot carry around the guilt of my sin because it is finished. Amen? And yet, we have institutions full of people who cannot get over the guilt of their own sin. Wait a minute, that's what Jesus paid for on the cross, my friend. Now, don't go to the other extreme and say, well, Jesus paid for all sin, so don't confess your sin. You don't have to mention it. It's all... Wait a minute. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I, I, we quote that verse so many times. Listen. There's a responsibility. What did Jesus tell the disciples as they were on the way to Gethsemane? If ye love me, what? Keep my commandments. That person that accepted the principles of liberty in the 1770s 
had to be prepared. Uh, they called many of them Minutemen. They had to leave their homes and their families. And I'm sure it took more than a minute, but maybe clocks were slower back then. But that, that was the principle. Later on, they realized the Minutemen could not meet the challenge. And they raised a regular army. And not only did you have to leave for weeks at a time, you had to leave for years and go through great deprivation. And, and our soldiers at, 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 uh, there outside uh, Philadelphia were starving and freezing in the winter while the British troops were warm and comfy and stealing food from all of the colonists in the city of Philadelphia just a few miles away. There in Valley Forge. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. You see, if I accept his love in dying for me on the cross, the Bible says it is no, no great thing for me to surrender my life to him. Amen. You see, that receiving thing goes both ways. And really, maybe this is what explains this verse that so many people have a problem with. Matthew 10:22. it says, And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. You see, those who believe you can lose your salvation, they have always argued, but you didn't endure to the end. You... You, you sacrificed to the emperor in the Roman times, and so therefore we're kicking you out of the church and you can never be saved. Well, wait a minute. The Bible answers that question very clearly. If your faith didn't endure through the testing of that faith, and you sacrificed to the emperor and denied the Lord Jesus Christ, it's simply telling you that you did not have saving faith in the first place. You didn't accept the responsibility that comes through receiving him. You accepted him, but when you receive Jesus, that's what makes you endure unto the end. Can we say amen to that? You see, a simple illustration, understanding the words. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what? I don't know exactly what it's going to be like to be in heaven. The Bible tells us a very little bit. But I hope. That it's going to happen. Hasn't happened yet. I like that song the Marshall girls sang many, many years ago. I'm already over on the other side waiting on my brand new body. I think about that while we're working on the building and all the pains and things that come with that. And say, one of these days, uh, there's not going to be any more sore backs and all of the other things that are there. But that's not today. So I'm going to keep hoping. And I'm not going to ever quit hoping. Because I've received the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a responsibility to understand that he never goes back on his word. 
One more and we're done. Philippians 3. Let me just read you the verses. If by any means, Paul is speaking, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. And people like to take this passage and say, see, Paul wasn't even sure of his own salvation. Wait a minute, read the next verse. Not as though I had already attained, either were perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I'm trying to get a hold of that, apprehend, grab a hold of. A little overlap with the word receive, which already has apprehended me. You see, when I receive Jesus, he gets a hold of me. You see, I think I'm getting a hold of him. But I can't hold on to him like he holds on to me. Isn't that a wonderful truth? You see, when I receive Jesus, it is finished. He's done all the saving. But I have a responsibility to reach out and to receive that which he has for me. I remember hearing a preacher preach many years ago on salvation. I remember just sitting there enthralled with how wonderful salvation was. And the crazy thought crossed my mind. Boy, you know, it, it, it's just so wonderful what he's preaching about. I almost wish I could lose my salvation just to experience it again. And then I realized how foolish that was. How, how dumb that was. How against the Bible that kind of thinking is. You see, when I receive him as my Savior, he saved me forever. And I have the joy of receiving his instruction each and every day. And I can have that same exact joy multiplied by years of experience. It's kind of like being married. In a good marriage, you love each other. But 20 years down the road, you understand you really didn't know much about love. 30 years down the road, you figure out what you knew at 20 was only child's play. And I can't wait for 40 and 50. Well, just see, it just gets better and better. And that's the way it ought to be with the Lord Jesus Christ each and every day, my friend. Because of that word receive. It goes both ways. I received Jesus as my Savior, but He saved me. Because he's my Savior, I want to live for him. And when I live for him, he rewards me both here and now and in heaven to come. Oh, that word receive. Wow. It needs five and a half pages in the dictionary. But I'll tell you what. What it really needs is the rest of your life. Have you received Jesus as your Savior? Do you remember a time? In your life where you stopped trying to please God and allowed Jesus to save you. Where you just took him at his word. You accepted Jesus for who he is. And you 
acknowledge to Jesus for who you are and what you've done. And God put both of those things together at an old rugged cross. That's why we have this and an empty tomb. And so, what we need to do today is we need to understand that receiving Jesus as my Savior puts my faith and trust in Him, but puts His power and His grace at my disposal and gives me an opportunity to live that grace each and every day till He comes. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your love and your goodness to us. We thank you for the fact that this little word here has such an incredible meaning. And Lord, we just ask that you would give us an understanding that we could live that love and that grace of Jesus Christ each and every day till he comes. Lord, I pray for those that are in this auditorium this morning that have yet to receive Jesus as their Savior. That they would be willing to lay aside religion, human thought process, deception from others and deception from self. And just simply receive the love of Jesus that saves the soul. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. As Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you're here today and you're not saved, would you allow us to take the Bible and show you how you may know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home? As we sing, would you come?